Welcome, everyone, to the Wednesday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. Hope you guys had a great 4th of July weekend. Hopefully, you got to get three days off of work. I did. And as usual, I took an extra day for here the Markets and Mortgages podcast and made it a four-day vacay. But we are back, and we got a lot to get to. And we are going to start with the big reports from CoreLogic. No, 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 not that one. You're thinking Case Schiller. This is the redheaded stepchild of the Case Schiller Index because the Case Schiller Index is also from like an arm of CoreLogic, but this one is the CoreLogic Home Price Index. It's not as well regarded, but I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I like it. I'm a fan of this report and it showed similar to what we saw with the Case Schiller Index, which was home price growth slowing, not reversing, slowing. So prices are still going up, just not as quickly. And well, we'll talk about a little bit. In a little bit, we're going to get into the um, latest data from, I think it was Capital Economics, who's got a projection on what's going to be happening with home prices. But first, what happened in the month of May and the CoreLogic Home Price Index said that home prices were up year over year 20.2%. So 20%, that's a big jump any way you look at it. But in April, home prices were up 20.8%. So 20.2%, big jump, not as big as what we saw in April. And then month over month, home prices up 1.8%, which once again, that's a big number. I mean, what is it? That's 16, 17% annualized. That's a big jump, but... In April, we saw a 2.6% month-over-month jump. So month-over-month, year-over-year, big numbers, but not as big from what we saw in April. Slowing. Another sign that slowing is happening in the housing market. And it should be noted, this is the first time since September 2021 that this report showed a month-over-month drop. Once again, this is why this report maybe isn't as isn't held in as high regard as the case Schiller because I don't think I was going back and looking at the data to try to make sure I was correct. I don't think they showed a price reduction at the end of last year, they in September, but in the case Schiller, I think we saw a little bit of a slide in December or maybe November and then things sort of ramping back up again. And this, they had prices falling in September or not prices falling, but slowing in September and then kind of a ramp up from there. So a little bit, different data points, but slowing nonetheless. Now, one area where they are similar to the case Schiller is the states and metro areas that are hot. Not surprisingly, not just temperature wise right now, but Florida was the hottest state, not by, I almost said by far, but decently. They were up 33.2% year over year. And interestingly enough, that was actually up from April when they were at 32.4%. So Florida, not slowing down. Like the rest of the states, they were well above Tennessee, who was number two at 27.4%. And Arizona was right behind Tennessee, up 27.3%. But one area that Arizona gets the top spot is top metro area. Phoenix held on to the top spot despite seeing... 1% less appreciation. They were up 28.7% year over 
year over year. So it was 29.7% in April. This was followed by Las Vegas up 26.5% and San Diego up 24.5%. Selma Hep, the deputy chief economist for CoreLogic, said they are expecting a rapid deceleration of home price growth, saying in a statement, quote, while annual home price growth still exceeds 20%, we expect to see a rapid deceleration in the rate of growth over the coming year. Nevertheless, the normalization of an overheated buying conditions should bring about more of a balance between buyers and sellers in a healthier overall housing market. Because remember, that's, that's what we're trying to get here. We're trying to get a normal, healthy housing market. I feel like it's this sort of weird situation where home prices are accelerating at an unprecedented rate and everyone freaks out and then they start slowing down and then everyone freaks out because they're not growing by 20%. You cannot have assets increasing 20% year over year in perpetuity. It, it, it can't happen, especially something where, you know, if you're talking about like a company that's growing and it's reaching, you know, new customers. Yeah, you can have 20% growth for a couple of years, maybe a decade if you're lucky. But at some point, you're going to reach a level of saturation where you just cannot continue that growth. You're going to run out of customers. And housing is a very different beast entirely. Um, this is more about, of course, a lack of supply, which is why it's good that we saw on, well, it wasn't on Monday, it was on Tuesday this week because of Monday was the 4th of July. New data from Altos that shows that once again, big jump in inventory. And I think we're now at, I think we're close to 500,000, <laughs> which, you know, it's it's amazing for like a month, maybe a month and a half, we've seen like seven, eight, nine percent week over week jumps in inventory levels. And we're still only at like half a million. <laughs> and you want to have somewhere, I think it's between like one and two million. And so even though we're seeing these big jumps, we're still so far behind. <laughs> But we're getting there. We are getting there. And that's why you're seeing a slow uh, a slowdown in prices because inventory levels are rising. Rising rates have cooled off demand and you're starting to reach an equilibrium between supply and demand, which causes an equilibrium of prices. And because they're expecting a big deceleration with regards to prices, the CoreLogic HPI forecast is predicting another month we're going to see 1% growth. So we were at almost 2.6, then 1.8. Now they're projecting 1%, and they're projecting year over year. So May 2022, May 2023, only 5% growth in housing. Now, I will caution and remind everyone, I should say, that um, the HPI forecast has not been correct in the almost two years that I've been following, <laughs> they've just they've never been correct. But in this case, I think they might be onto something. And they got a little bit of help here because as I mentioned, looking forward, Neil Shearing, who is the chief economist at Capital Economics, said in a note on Tuesday that the housing market was due for a correction, but do not expect a 2008 price level drop in any way, shape, or form. Shearing writes, quote, and there are growing signs that this rise in borrowing costs and the anticipation of a further increases to come is already fueling sharp downturns in housing markets 
across advanced economies. So there's a trepidation out there because let's face it, nobody wants to buy something at the top. And so because people feel like we're getting close to the top, not only is it more expensive to borrow that money and they're thinking, hey, you know what? Maybe rates are going to drop in, you know, six, seven months. And maybe because of that home prices or we might go into recession. So you might see home prices pull back and then rates might drop. That might be a better time to buy. So people are trying to time the market, which I never recommend. Trust me, nobody can time the market. If people could time the market, they'd, they'd be retired. <laughs> if anyone tells you they know how the market works and they're working for a living, they're lying <laughs> because if you can time the market, you're going to time it. You're going to make all your money and you're going to leave. Okay. <laughs> Trust me. Anyone who's working and is telling you they know how to time the market um, is lying to you. But there's a lot of people that feel that way. Just like there are people, you know, you, you see the same kind of mob mentality that leads to rise, leads to prices going up and leads to prices going down. Or in this case, slowing down because prices aren't dropping. They are just slowing the increase. That's all that's happening right now. But as I mentioned, this is not 2008 because unlike the loose credit standards and lack of equity that fueled the mid-aughts boom, today's boom is very different. Sharing rights is underpinned by the extremely low level of nominal and real interest rates. And yeah, I mean, there's no doubt. I think the beginning of the 2000 bubble was once again, low interest rates. And then as housing just continued to go up really unchecked, even when borrowing rates started going up, people were like, I don't care. My house will be worth 10% more in a year. And so they didn't mind taking out an interest only loan, 100% financing. And then when the equity dried up and disappeared, and then they were underwater, that was a big problem. I mean, what we're, what we're facing right now, and I know I probably say this every podcast, I mean, people are sitting on a record level of equity. I mean, this this couldn't be any more different than 2008. And then not only are people sitting on record equity, they're sitting on like a 2% mortgage, a 3% mortgage. Even the best predictions, no one sees rates getting back into the threes anytime soon. So what motivation would there be for people to leave the home? Let's say you got $150,000 of equity and you're sitting on a 3% mortgage. And so let's say the economy hits the skids, problems arise. Why would you walk away from your home? <laughs> I mean, even if there is a price correction, you probably are going to be well, well above water. And if you were to buy something else or rent or whatever you would end up doing after leaving the house, you'd probably be paying more. I mean, people have locked it. That's one of the benefits of buying. You know, people always look at it through the, the prism of appreciation of the home and your building equity. And I get that. But one of the real benefits of buying is you're locking in your monthly housing costs. Usually if you're renting, if you're lucky, you can do it for two years. Usually it's about a year. I mean, so with housing, you can lock it in forever. <laughs> and so why would you walk away when rents are at record highs and you're it just makes no sense. It makes literally no sense that anyone would be walking away from their homes, but we could see a double digit drop in home prices. Ah, that was clickbait. Not here though, <laughs> not here. Uh, Shearing believes the US housing market could see a 5% correction. Now that's nationwide. So some markets you might not see any prices change. In other markets you maybe could see 10%, something along, the, I mean, this is 5% nationwide. So different markets are gonna react differently. 
So just giving you a heads up. Because some people will go, oh, look, Tyler, that market lost uh, you know, 10% of its value. They only said 5%. Look, the, here comes the bubble. Here comes the crash. No, it's a 5% nationwide. That you're, you're, you're taking the aggregate, right? That's how that works. So you're going to have up some areas and not and down in others. I mean, that's just the way that it's going to work. So where are these double-digit drops going to be happening? Well, not in the country. They're going to be happening all over the world, unfortunately. And some of the biggest places, one of them's right to our north, that would be Canada. Sharing sees a 20% correction in Canada and New Zealand. Australia could see a 15% drop. Sweden, anywhere from 10 to 15%. And the UK could see anywhere from 5 to 10%. Now, Sharing also notes that there are four stages of a housing downturn. And we have reached the third stage quite quickly. So price declines could be just around the corner. And if you want to read the uh, market watch piece that talks about, you know, the four stages and what sharing had to say, of course, you can sign up for the companion newsletter, sign up for it at marketsandmortgages.com. Now, before we go, I was going to talk about this new Monmouth poll that just showed how it's like 63% of voters, their biggest issue is economics. I mean, not, not, not like the study of economics, but, but like economics, home economics, basically, home ec. Uh, people worried about what's going to be happening with inflation. People worried about gas prices, worried about paying their bills. People worried, what was the other one? Just the overall economy. It's like 63%. So I, I was going to talk about that, but I want to talk about this instead. Because I thought this was so funny. So do you remember the end of last year, the end of 2021, there, everyone was talking about how much money billionaires had made. The economy was full steam, stock market, record highs. Billionaires had become more billionaires. They, they, were, they were making so much money. And we started hearing talks about a wealth tax. We got to go after these people. This is ridiculous. You know, sure. Regular Americans were doing better. Their balance sheets were better. They'd gotten stimulus checks. Things were okay. But inflation was starting to ramp up. You could feel people were starting to get a little worried about what was going to happen to the economy. And they're looking at all these billionaires who now are billionaires many times over. And that's like I said, you got people like Bernie Sanders out there talking about we got to do a wealth tax. Elizabeth Warren's out there. Democrats are like, this is the issue that we're going to run on. Have you noticed that no one's talking about that anymore? <laughs> and have you wondered why that's happening? Well, obviously, the main reason is the stock market's collapsed, especially growth stocks, which is what led to a lot of the wealth of the billionaires to begin with. So they have collapsed. And no one's really talking about taxing these billionaires' wealth anymore. And this is, this is why. So during the pandemic, so let's say 18 months, Billionaires increase their wealth. Not just, I guess the whole kind of wealthy crowd, I guess it's mostly billionaires now. From anywhere, because this is, you know, of course, all estimates here, anywhere from 1.2 to $1.8 trillion. It's pretty good. I'll take it. I'll take a sliver of that. Well, in the last six months, as the stock market has plummeted, <laughs> So it went from the best year on record to be a billionaire. 2021 was the best year on record to be a billionaire because you became a billionaire many times over. Well, we're only, we just passed the six month mark of 2022. And 2022 is now officially 
the worst year on record to be a billionaire. <laughs> Billionaires have lost $1.4 trillion in six months. And I pretty much everyone's projecting the stock market to continue to fall. So more than likely, more than likely billionaires in this country. And this is, you know, this isn't the same. I mean, the kind of people who made a ton of money and got out and then other people got in at the wrong time. And I think it was Bill Ackman. I think, didn't he buy like Netflix, like right at the top? And then he just had to get out of the position and people have made shorts and they were bad. I mean, it just, it's, it's, it, it flows, right? That's, that's the beauty of capitalism is that capital goes to those who make it. And so some people make good bets. Other people do not make good bets. But the wealth that was created has almost been wiped away <laughs> in much. I mean, we're talking like from 18 months in one third of the time, almost all the money is gone. <laughs> and I'm not I'm not laughing at the billionaires because, I mean, they're most of them are still billionaires. I'm just laughing. And this is this is this is how the stock market works. This is how free markets work. It's a self-correcting system. I mean, this is this is like the best evidence I've ever seen. We'd reached a level that was just, it was unsustainable. And before you could say unsustainable, <laughs> it proved it by correcting. It corrected. Government didn't do it. We didn't need new taxes. <laughs> we didn't need new regulations. The market corrected. It, it corrected. And I know people don't like the stock market and I know there's crony capitalism and the governments. And I mean, I get that, but this is evidence that the stock market was way too hot. People made way too much money and it's not corrected. I mean, <laughs> no one's talking about, well, some people probably are still, there's always going to be people talking about taxing billionaires more, but it's funny how like all of a sudden the stock market collapses and it's like, yeah, maybe we don't need a wealth tax. Maybe, maybe we don't, but that's, I mean, that's hysterical. 18 months, and it wiped away in six months. Easy come, easy go. And on that note, we have to go. <laughs> you guys enjoy your Wednesday. We will see you back here. Oh, don't forget, it's jobs week. It's jobs week. We've got a lot going on. We got the ADP report, private payrolls coming out today. We got the Jolts report coming out today as well. That's supposed to fall to about 11 million. Thursday, initial jobless claims. Actually, you know what? I take that back. I think we're getting ADP on Thursday. So we're getting ADP on Thursday, initial jobless claims, and then Friday, the Mac Daddy, Big Daddy, the uh, non-farm payroll, which is supposed to increase by 270,000. I almost forgot. It's jobs week. Get excited. Talking about jobs reports all this week. And then, of course, next week, we'll start the week off talking about the Friday report. But we do have to go. You guys enjoy your Wednesday. We'll see you back here Thursday morning for another edition of Markets and Mortgages. And remember, as always, do not wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and wait. 